This is a fit mess with Zach and Jeremy. Holy shit moment is the name of the book that we'll be talking about with author James Fell in just a few minutes. But also talking about holy shit moments because uh, we've both had several of them uh, in recent years. And uh, we'll get into exactly what they are. But, you know, to, to sum it up, it's, it's an epiphany. And it turns out there's ways that you can not just wait around for them to happen, but you can actually make them happen. So we'll get into all that in just a little bit. But first, I'm Jeremy, and that's Zach all the way over in New York now. What's up, everyone? We've got uh, like six, maybe eight, nine inches of snow here in Seattle. And we're done with it. We're sick of it. We want it to go away. Uh, I think we're sending it your way next. Uh, you already did. It's already here. So. <laughs> It it actually warmed up the other day and all the snow melted. And then I went to work today and there was no snow on the ground. And I got there at like 730 and they kicked us all out at one o'clock. And there was like three, maybe four inches on the ground already. I mean, it, it was coming down hard. So we've had it build up so much here that uh, I was in my backyard last night and the, it's uh, it started to rain a little bit here and it's starting to wash some of the snow away. And the last time we had this much snow melt this quickly my basement flooded. Uh, so I was out there last night getting the sump pump out of the shed and sticking it in the ground to get it working in case uh, the same scenario repeats itself. Right. And I literally was like standing next to the shed, got the thing out, took a few steps over to where the thing goes in the ground. And I heard this creaking and then a giant snap. And I looked up and about a 12 foot branch that weighs, I don't even know how much I can't lift the thing came crashing down on the spot where I was standing and like shook the earth and just an explosion of snow. Wow. And I, I was literally like maybe 30 seconds uh, earlier standing in that spot. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. Crazy. I was, I was rattled to say the least. Like it, uh, the fact that I saw it, you know, like had I come out the next day and saw it on the ground, I wouldn't have thought so much about it, but to have been standing there to hear the sound and to witness the the collapse of this thing was incredible. And then I was like, I would be dead right now if I had been 30 seconds later. If I, you know, if it took one car longer to cross the street to get here, whatever. Like, oh my just gosh. Terrifying. So That's crazy. Uh, yeah. Someone inside and warmed up with a nice uh, non-alcoholic beer from our <laughs> fine sponsor, Bravest <laughs> Brewing Company. <laughs> And as much as I love them, uh, it, it didn't do the trick in this case. It, it didn't. Uh, it didn't no. numb the nerves the way that no. you're used to. But I bet that still. would rattle you pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so be safe, everybody. It's uh, it's terrifying out there. Yeah, I was uh, talking to my wife, who is still back in Seattle, and she said that this morning all she heard was the sound of chainsaws. So apparently, that's happening all over the place. Well, that, that was the other thing is after it happened, I, I was inside and uh, the kids had gone to bed. And I think uh, I think Cheryl, my wife, had gone to bed and I just kept hearing that same sound snap and something would fall. And then, you know, as the snow is melting, giant chunks of it are sliding off of roofs and, and off of, you know, everything. So I just kept it was like bombs dropping everywhere. It was just really I don't want to say traumatic. That's that's a bit much, but it, it was scary. I was I was scared in my own home last night. Wow. Is is there more snow coming, or is that it? No, this is supposed to be it. It's supposed to be uh, supposed to be warming up now and start raining and uh, and getting rid of all this crap. So finally, our kids can get back to school and we can stop having to deal with them all day long. Let them be <laughs> let them be our teachers' problems. Right? Did you at least go sledding or go play in it? Oh yeah, dude. No, I've got. Uh, we did a bunch of sledding. We went over to uh, there's a golf course near our house where you know there's hills hills for miles. 
Um, so we went over there and I, I think I've got some good video. I got to review it, but I, I took a few good runs down the hill with and without the kids. So I'll try and post those on our website or something when I, when I get them from Cheryl, they're on her phone. That's awesome. Well, I hope, I hope you don't have to deal with it anymore. I am actually stuck with it for another three months or so. Oh, at least. Yeah. You guys are screwed. It's going to be rough. It's supposed to snow all the way till tomorrow morning, but I was thankful that my car has four wheel drive and I left work today and, you know. I watched a whole bunch of other people like spinning out and driving slow. And I was like, I wonder if I'll slide. So I just like hit the gas and I took out, took off like a bat out of hell. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. So I was very happy that my car handled well in the snow. Awesome. Uh, well, we should get to the reason we're here. Uh, the guest joining us on this show, his name is James Fell. He's the author of The Holy Shit Moment, How Lasting Change Can Happen in an Instant. And literally last night when that branch fell, that that title really stuck with me. I was like, holy shit. That was a holy shit moment. That would have been some big change in an instant. Uh, So I was feeling very fortunate to uh, have been out of the way of that. Uh, The the point of this book that uh, you'll hear from from James is uh, is all about uh, basically epiphanies and how, you know, many of you started this year with a. a a resolution to hit the gym more, to eat better, to quit smoking, quit drinking, whatever, whatever vice it was that you were trying to get rid of. Um, But oftentimes we do that because it seems like it's something we should do, or it's a good idea. We know it's bad for us to to continue in our bad ways. So we're going to change something and make it better. But he argues in his book that basically until you have that epiphany, you have that moment where whatever that, that drastic change is, when it needs to happen, you own it. it. It just becomes a part of you. It's not something that you have to start trying to do. You know, slow and steady doesn't always win the race. Sometimes you need just a swift kick in the head and it's the thing that lights you up and, and gets you on the right path. I know for me, I've had a couple of those. Zach, really, this show and much of my life changed drastically when you and I were camping last summer. We were out at Orcas Island. Uh, we were having coffee one morning by the campfire and you were talking about the success you had had with your diet. And uh, and sort of the the accidental um, benefits of of what you were doing and how they're making you feel. And I thought, well, geez, I, I can do that. I've done something like that before. And I came home and started that day. Like I, I just was like, yeah. I'm this is what I do now uh, and dropped a bunch of weight. And it just it just started kicking all kinds of doors open uh, for me in in regard to my health and, and the way I live my life. And so that really resonated with me when I, when I read this book and and just thought, you know, that was one of those key moments where it was instantaneous. Just in that moment, I decided I'm that guy now. And it just changed everything. And you've worn it very well. Oh, thanks. Congratulations. Thank you. What about you? I mean, I know you had uh, similar situations. Yeah. um, So I think the first time it really ever happened to me was when I, I got a new job and I realized that my boss was relatively in good shape and I tried riding home, um, on a bike with him and he just, you know, he was like talking the whole time. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm out of breath the entire time. And I was like, this is, this is bullshit. Um, <laughs> I remember that day cause I was like, you know, I don't really enjoy riding bikes, but I was like, I'll, I'll try this workout program called insanity. And I, I did it for like 120 days straight. It was, it was just that moment of like, Oh, I'm out of shape. And people are in better shape than me. I need to get in better shape. And it happened really quick. And then it just became, I became addicted to it and owned it. Is that sort of what sent you down the path that you've now been on pretty much since that point in terms of taking care of yourself? 
yeah, I think that was kind of, that was, well, I mean, we could go even further back um, to, to when I smoked and weighed, you know, close to 300 pounds and, you know, ate McDonald's every night. We could go <laughs> even, we could go that far back because I've had sure. multiple epiphanies that have moved the needle a little bit to the point where the needle is at now. So I won't bore everyone with all of those stories, but suffice to say that it's little changes. It's little things that, that have happened along the way that, that have gotten me to the point where I'm at now. And that's part of what we talk about with, uh, with James Fell, again, the author of The Holy Shit Moment, How Lasting Change Can Happen in an Instant. Let's start out talking about your book. And uh, as we, we were just talking about this a moment ago, but uh, the title of your book is uh, brilliant because it's so eye-catching to, to use profanity in the title. Uh, tell me a little bit about kind of the inspiration for how this book came about and why, why that title uh, and, and sort of what the holy shit moment is. Well, I had a holy shit moment about holy shit moments is how the idea for the book came about, uh, which, you know, really a lot of our great ideas that come to us usually come to us in a flash. So, you know, when I was, I was actively searching for this cool idea for a book and it kind of popped in out of nowhere. But the title, I didn't really approach it from the perspective of, oh, hey, you know, swearing in titles is hot. I should do that. It was nothing so constructed. Uh, in fact, I wasn't a big fan of the title out of the gate, but uh, we didn't have one a couple of weeks before pitching it to publishers. And my my agent just said, ah, come up with a list of ideas. And I sent him 10 of them. And he came back and said, let's call it the holy shit moment. I was like, really? I'm kind of <laughs> lukewarm on that one. And he goes, no, it's, it's, it's very descriptive. It describes what it is. And really, you know, after I looked at the rest of the list, that was the most accurate title because <laughs> that's yeah, no. what happens. It's like you have this massive flash of insight and you go, holy shit. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, that was it, it. And everyone else liked it. You know, the publishers liked it. Everyone I told liked it. And I thought, yeah, okay. I guess, I guess I'm cool with it. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, so then let's talk about the holy shit moment. What, what is, what does it mean to have a holy shit moment? It's the vernacular, you know, common verbiage for a life-changing epiphany. It's, uh, something that we've been studying for millennia. Great thinkers, philosophers, psychologists have examined this both philosophically and scientifically. And it's when you have this massive awakening and it can be an insight, a solving of a problem where the answer comes to you like a bolt out of the blue, the, the lightning strike of sudden uh, awareness about something. There's also the more mystical type where you believe, you know, God threatened to shove a lightning bolt up your ass if you didn't do something <laughs> that, you know, that you felt that you must do. But either way, it's generally an answer to a question that quite often sends you on a quest a new direction that it's not like, hey, this is a cool thing that you should probably do. It's no Buddy, you got to get your butt in gear and you must do this and nothing's going to stand in your way. It's funny. So I've had uh, I've had a number of these, but I've had three significant ones in the last uh, three years or so. One was uh, I was having some knee issues and uh, my physical therapist basically said, you got to get on a bike. If you don't get on a bike, your knees are going to deteriorate over time. And so I started thinking about, well, I live close enough to work. Maybe, you know, maybe I could like ride to work and, and try that out. And I had been talking to my brother about it and was kind of, I was hesitant about it because I, I wasn't an, an active enough guy to think, hey, let's go ride a bike 10 miles a day. And, mm -hmm. um, and he finally just said to me, dude, all you need to do is just, just own the identity, just become that weird guy that rides his bike to work every day. And something about him saying those words, I went, God, it, it really could be that easy. And I just sort of decided I'm, I'm that guy now. And I went and bought a That's bike and 
started biking ever since. That's like epiphany inception <laughs> that you just it is. described. Because it totally is. It happened, it happened in a moment. So there's the, you know, the sudden insight that, oh, wow. But what he said was really the, the executive summary of what my book is about. That it's when we look at behavior change, which is you need to ride your bike every day. That's a behavior. It's an action that you take. That's a surface level thing that if you only focus on doing that thing, it doesn't, you know, to use a Marie Kondo term, it doesn't necessarily spark joy or uh, define you as a person. It's just an action. And we, we preach the tortoise versus the hare when it comes to behavior change, because usually it's at odds with who we are. Otherwise we'd already be doing it. And what your brother talked about was that you need to adopt this identity as, as the weird guy who rides his bike to work every day. That is at its fundamental core, precisely what this is about, where you are just, you, you change at that core level of yourself and what your values are. Like you're a person that's going to through thick and thin hop on his bike and ride it to work and then ride it home again. And that syncs up all of those, you know, values and beliefs and attitudes. And yes, your behaviors of what you do on a daily basis that make it essentially effortless rather than this struggle of dragging yourself over some type of motivational tipping point and you just suffer through because you got grit or willpower or some kind of crap like that. And well, and it's so interesting because it did open the door to other, I don't know if they were exactly holy shit moments, but they, uh, where it sort of opened door after door to where I have a similar story to where one, one day I just kind of woke up and decided, you know what, I'm done drinking. I'm just not going to do it anymore. Uh, and, mm-hmm. um, it, it, there's just been a, and, and, you know, uh, weight was an issue. And just, I just decided that's it. I'm going to try something else and dropped a bunch of weight. Like, but none of that would have happened had I not taken that first step. And so that's where I wanted to kind of clarify a little bit about what you talk about, uh, especially in the tortoise versus hare scenario, because, a lot of people think of the epiphany as the the instantaneous boom moment, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to just come out of the blue. It's like it sounds like you're saying that you can sort of cultivate them by making small changes along the way to to allow for them to happen. There's so there's a, a quote from I think it was the Buddha, and I'm totally going to butcher this quote, but it was something to the effect of that uh, sudden insight is an accident. And meditation makes one more accident prone. And what that means is that if you are working toward having this type of insight, you're far more likely to have one. And there's lots of tips and tricks that we can use to stack the deck, increase the likelihood that something like this is going to happen rather than just, you know, hoping for it to happen. And, but the thing is, we're talking about human psychology here. We don't have any statistical analysis of if you complete X number of steps, there will be X percent increase in, you know, it doesn't work that way. But uh, we're we're looking at self-evaluation and self-analysis and self-compassion so that you can understand yourself better, as well as, you know, what your environmental situation is and what, what your dreams may be. And, and, Rolling the dice and hoping something better happens for the future. Rolling the dice is one thing, but there are active steps you can take to sort of cultivate them. And, and you know, and I, I'm a big believer in meditation. I, it's been a life changing uh, thing for me. 
Um, but what are some of the things that people can do? Because I'm sure, you know, people are, are going to be listening to this and saying, you know, I work my ass off. I want better things. I want to make more money. I want to lose the weight. I want to do whatever. But what are some of the steps yeah. that people can take to, to make okay, those so epiphanies happen? There, there are uh, several tasks labeled throughout the book, but I can boil them down to really two steps. One of them is, it's going to sound kind of enigmatic and ethereal, but it's the concept of belief that this is something that can happen for you. Because a lot of us don't realize just how common this phenomenon is. And the reason for that is that a lot of people have had them, but it's such a deeply emotional and transformative experience. We don't like to talk about it too much because it's a little weird, right? You know, it's most people that, and this is the research backs this up, is that most people who've had this sudden life-changing epiphany never tell anybody or maybe just one person like their spouse. And yet when I put the call out on Facebook saying, hey, I want to talk to people about it, suddenly there's this great unburdening, like, wow, someone actually wants to hear my story and then they're anxious to tell it. But because of the fact that that we don't know that maybe our, our best friend or our sister or significant other or parent or, or whatever had this event that we don't necessarily think it's something that can happen for us. The reality is very common. So if it's happening for all these other people, believe that it's something that can happen for you. Uh, that's the first big step. The second one is a little more concrete and it's in two parts. One is analysis. Most of us go through life on cruise control. We don't think about, you know, what do, what do I want to do from here on out until I dirt nap? What is, what is my purpose in life? What is, a, what is an important quest that I could go on? And uh, we need to start asking ourselves these tough questions is, who am I deep down as a core identity that compels me to create greatness in some way or, or be the best version of myself that I could possibly be? We're not usually asking ourselves these questions. So start, engage in that regular analysis. So that's part one. Part two is, this is the really important part that most people ignore, is they don't understand that the answer to the question doesn't come while you're actively trying to solve the question. A life-changing epiphany is the bolt out of the blue, the sudden lightning strike that hits you seemingly unbidden, but it was bidden via these previous activities that I just talked about. So what happens, what you need to do is you need to engage in distraction where you're not you're no longer trying to solve the problem. And that involves unplugging, leaving your home, your phone at home, going for a walk out in nature, the whole shower thoughts thing, uh, meditation, prayer, getting comfortable with being alone with your thoughts so that these bits of data in your brain can meander and collide and gel in that profound way that just says, this is it. This is what you got to do. Along with all that, it seems that another way to do it is to really just start doing things differently, just saying yes to things that you would otherwise normally say no to. At least for me, in my experience, that has been yeah. where, you know, I really totally grow. agree. Yeah. You so can that, really grow that, and break that's through. the next, that's the sort of the next phase or, or a, a complementary phase to it. So what I described is that the hard sort of hack of epiphany, like how to, how to drive it forward as, as fast and furious as you possibly can. Right. At the same time, um, you know, I talk about the whole tortoise versus hare scenario. There's the baby steps approach of, you know, gradually adopting little bits of change. And then there's the hare where, hey, let's, you know, it, it's you're suddenly inspired and you run off in this new direction. And it can be 
It, it doesn't mean it has to be one or the other. You can do the approach where you are behaving like a tortoise and yet thinking like a hare, where you're trying different things. This is part of the, it's actually part of the analysis process that I talked about earlier is that you don't necessarily think about things that you could do. You try new things. You engage in different activities that expose you to new bits of information for that rumination, percolation that suddenly helps lead to that sudden lightning strike. There's an example in the book in the introduction of Leslie Chapman, the champion fencer, where she struggled for a couple of months. She'd never been active. She smoked, she drank, she was really overweight. And fencing was the one thing that seemed like, eh, you know, maybe I'll like that. And she didn't like it for the first couple of months, but then there was that big transformative experience. 10 years later, she's winning a silver medal uh, at the North American level. And, and I love stories like that because they're very inspirational. Uh, but I also wonder, at least for me, as, I, as I've been on this sort of journey in the last couple of years, that uh, I think a lot can get, uh, you, you can put a lot of weight on having that one transformative moment. And at least for me, I've found that once I have one, I'm open to many more. And so should should people, I, I guess, I'm trying to figure out how to ask this the right way, but should people be waiting for that one moment or should they be working to cultivate as many of them as they can? Because it seems like it, it uh, can happen a lot. I would definitely favor the latter <laughs> because I would hope so. know, there, were people that, that, uh, there were people that I talked to where it just came out of the middle of nowhere. And, and it's a great story. It's like, wow, that's really cool. I wish I could have that happen for me. But we are trying to hack this a bit. We want to make this happen. And generally speaking, you know, if you sit around on your butt uh, waiting for it to happen, it might not. This is about stacking the deck. This is about making it more likely to happen. And that involves that, you know, introspection that we that we talked about and experimentation, as well as coupling that with the whole engaging in those types of, you know, the shower thoughts or meditation or out for a walk in nature that allows the answer to be delivered. Speaking of hacks, uh, one of the things you mentioned uh, in the book is psychedelics, and uh, I have an increasing uh, uh, interest. <laughs> Obey in the law. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Obey the law. Don't, nobody break any laws. But this is something that uh, in therapy uh, it comes up a lot as a as an idea for managing depression and sort of uh, exercising some some demons that have, that have been with me for a long time. I've never done it, but I'm uh, the more I read about it and the more I hear about it. Uh, I'm definitely interested in in pursuing it uh, down the road. So can you talk a little bit about how that uh, fits into all of this? Well, I, I did a brief analysis of it as half a chapter. Um, and when I was writing that chapter, I didn't realize that Michael Pollan of the, you know, the the omnivores dileva, dilemma fame was writing an entire book on it. And his book came out a little while ago. I haven't read it, but from what I understand, he's looked at in detail the use of psychedelics for these transformative type of experiences. And I just sort of covered it as well as, you know, that was one of the things I put in all caps and bolding was obey the law. From what I understand, Michael Pollan did not. <laughs> and he tried this. Yeah, he tried this stuff out. And it, it is quite interesting that, you know, it's not anything I'm recommending to any anybody, but having a degree in history, I thought, well, let's look at the history of this stuff. Just, just to throw it in there as an interesting FYI. And one of the things that was, that was quite interesting was back in the fifties and sixties, there were a lot of experiments done with using psychedelics, specifically LSD was the most common one in regards uh, to helping people that were hopeless alcoholics, 
where they would take a heavy dose, like four to six times what a recreational dose would be, and just lie back with, you know, an eye shade on and listening to some chill music and just trip for like 10 to 12 hours, where according to the research, they would sense that, I don't know, the universe was made of love or something like that. And it would allow them to get past whatever, whatever sort of life trauma it was that, that required them to obliterate themselves with alcohol. And it wasn't a hundred percent. It was like 50% had very significant improvement, which was, and it just happened in the matter of a day. And so I just thought that that was fascinating that it happened because of this drug that they took. And, and it, I just used it to kind of reinforce the idea that people can change very quickly and not using psychedelics. So there's a, a completely different chapter in the book where battling addiction, this whole transformative event is very common and very effective. So a lot of people that quit drinking, quit smoking, quit doing drugs without having used LSD or something like that to trigger it, uh, that's another highly common phenomenon. The book is is a really fun read. You're a really fun writer, uh, and and you make it very uh, easy to to follow along and and uh, digest a lot of this. If there's if there's one sort of takeaway, if someone's reading this and they're like, okay, I'm doing something today, after they buy your book, what's step two? Read the book. <laughs> so, uh, well, I know people buy books and then they just put it on a shelf and they don't read it. <laughs> so, That's true. That's a good point. If you're, if you're if you're into audiobooks, I did the I did the audio recording, and so if they don't hate my voice, they can listen to it that way while they do something else. But the uh, the big thing is, you know, it was that that number one fundamental rule that I, I talked about the, at the beginning is you got to believe <laughs> that, that that this is something that happens. There there are people out there who they're going in a direction that is not what they want and it's not good for them, and suddenly. There's a transformative experience where they just change massively and and quickly and go off on this, this impassioned quest where others look at them and think, what happened? Like what got into them? And they were suddenly and unstoppably driven for years to, to go in this new direction where you look at them and you're like, wow, that's really inspiring. That happens a lot. And it can happen to probably just about anybody. And if you start from the perspective of believing that it's something that can happen to you, you've automatically increased the likelihood that it's going to. All right. Our thanks again to James Fell. He's the author of The Holy Shit Moment. Uh, You can get a copy of that uh, anywhere books are sold now, or you can get one from us. If someone listening to this episode right now shares this episode on their favorite social media channel and tags us in it, uh, we will randomly select from the folks that do that and we'll send them a copy of The Holy Shit Moment so they can get all sorts of tips on how to uh, how to cultivate those life-changing epiphanies and uh, and get on track for the, the life they want to be living. Just find us. All of our social media links are on our website, thefitmess.com, and uh, we'll pick somebody and send this book out to you uh, because that's the only way this, this uh, little show is going to grow is if you guys help us grow it by sharing it and, uh, and telling folks about it. Uh, so, uh, Jay, uh, and James fell, by the way, his website, bodyforwife.com. You can get links to all of his various writings there. And he's a really, he's a really funny writer. It's a, he's a, a really fun read and a really fun guy to talk to, as you could probably tell. So you should check him out if you haven't already. And with that, I think it's probably about challenge time. Let the challenge begin. All right. Quick update. 
when we last left you, the challenge was what? So I challenged you to do an hour of focused work every day. And I think I was able to do that for about four days. I, uh, the, the app that I'd mentioned that I was uh, all excited about last time, yeah. uh, it stopped being free. So I bailed on that and I got a different one. Uh, it's just called focus keeper, but I use that to, to block out the time and then take the, you know, block out the 25 minutes, take the five minute break and then back to the 25 minutes of work. And it worked like a charm. It, it really does. When you, when you just dial in and focus on what you need to get done and stop allowing the distractions, uh, it just, it feels better. Your mind is, is more calm and more focused. And uh, it, it's just, it's a much more peaceful way to be productive. So I'm going to say four, four days, pretty good. That's not too bad at all. And then did you also do that? Or I just counter challenged you to not forget about us, which you already totally have since you moved to New York. Well, I, uh, no, I really haven't, but um, <laughs> I have been doing focused work. Um, however, my focused work has been meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting at my new job, just getting acclimated and meeting all the right people and uh, just learning about what's going on in my new, my new company, which has been, um, you know, my, my role deals with the entire company. So not just like one little department, I have to talk with every department, get to know what they do and how they work. So I've, I've been doing a lot of focusing, but it's been in a very different manner. It's been through conversations and meetings and, you know, by the end of the day, my brain is just absolutely fried. So then you feed it with a big helping of ice cream. Well, I haven't had any ice cream since I've been here. I've uh -huh. very, very purposefully stayed away from it and not buying it. That's kind uh, of a win. Yeah, no, it was, it was pretty good. But I do have to say that, um, so let's go back to, you challenged me not to forget about you guys. So due to the fact that uh, my house in Seattle essentially fell apart last weekend, uh, <laughs> various things happened that, you know, caused my wife to call me in tears and, Oh and, no. You know, the the house knows that it's it's going on the market soon, so it's it's doing its thing. Um, but because because of that, I've I've booked a uh booked a plane ticket. I'll be coming back to Seattle for a good 10 days or so um uh, the first week of March. So Nice. Yeah, so I won't forget about you guys. I'm coming right. back for a little Hard bit. When you're still anchored here in in some way. So, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah, after June, you know, forget it. Forget it. Long gone. Yeah. Uh, okay, so moving forward, uh, the the new challenge, uh, we both have, have slacked. I think the weather has, has made it difficult. Your circumstances have made it difficult. Uh, I haven't been able to focus because I'm working half my day from home, which means I'm half the day with my kids and all that. So uh, diet relatively out the window, exercise relatively out the window. I'm noticing the scale creeping up ever so slightly. Yep. I think we need to, to throw it in reverse. I think we need to fix this. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got, it, it, you know, I've been focused on my job and the the apartment that I have here is I'm on the third floor and there's people below me and, you know, the, the ceiling in here is only like six inches taller than I am. So I can't even put my arms up. So I can't exercise here. I, I, I wasn't a member of a gym. And quite frankly, I've been stress eating for the, like the last month, I think. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, that scale has creeped significantly to the point where uh, clothes are getting un uncomfortable. Uh oh. All right. Yep. So what are we, what what are we doing? We are we are we going to uh, throw a number at the scale? Are we going to eat different? What are we going to do? 
Um, so at this point, I, I don't think, I think a number on the scale would actually work. You get to a certain point with, um, with weight loss where the, the number on the scale doesn't matter because if you're doing it right, you'll, you're theoretically building muscle and right. losing fat. So like the number couldn't budge, but initially I think, I think a number on the scale is going to be something that, that I need to shoot for. Okay. 10 pounds. We can try for 10 pounds in two weeks. <laughs> that seems that seems drastic. How about yeah. five pounds? Five pounds in two weeks. Five pounds in two weeks. We can do that. We can do that. There's our challenge. And uh, feel free to play along on the home game if you want to. No, no pressure. We're, we just like to push each other to do stupid shit every now and then. Uh, and by the way, James Fell has a, a book on, uh, uh, on dieting. Uh, I don't have the title of it, but you can find it at bodyforwife.com if, uh, if you're looking for a new way to, to, tra- to tackle that challenge. Well, that is it for I now. Think- oh, you mentioned, you mentioned in the interview uh, that insanity was, the, was one of the things that really got you started on fitness. We're going to be talking to the man himself, Sean T., uh, in early March. So we have an episode coming up with Sean T. from Insanity. So that, I'm very excited about that uh, and, a, and a few more interviews coming before that. But that one is... Uh, that's been a lot of work and we're excited about that. Yep. I just had to mute my, my microphone because I just squealed. (laughs) All right. So more information on that as we get closer to that, but thank you for being there. Thanks for your ratings and reviews on Apple podcasts or wherever you find us Uh, and keep in touch on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. We're pretty active on all three of those links to all of that and more at our website, thefitmess.com. Until the next time we see you in in a couple of weeks, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. See everyone. Bye. We know this podcast is amazing and does not seem to lack anything, but we still need a legal disclaimer. Jeremy and Zach are not doctors. Please consult your physician prior to implementing any changes that you heard on this podcast. The listener assumes that Jeremy and Zach do not know what they're talking about and that you'll do your own research on the topics talked about in this podcast. The hosts of this podcast are not liable for any physical or emotional issues that might occur directly or indirectly as a result of listening to this podcast.